Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor at Northwood right here in North Charleston, South Carolina. And I am so thankful that you are taking the time today to listen to this message. And I do hope and pray that what you are about to hear encourages you, blesses you, helps you to understand the word of God better, and most importantly, reminds you of how much the God of all creation loves you. I think today's message is going to be a blessing to you. So thank you for listening. And if you're in the North Charleston area, we would love to have you on our campus any Sunday morning at either 9.30 or 11 o'clock. If you're not in the North Charleston area, you can always find us on the web, northwoodbaptist.com. You can visit our YouTube page. You can visit our Facebook page. You can live stream us every Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11. We would love for you to be our guest, either on campus or online. So you're welcome to join us anytime you'd like. We'd love to have you. I do hope that today's message is a blessing and encouragement to you. And I hope that today's message helps you connect faith to life. Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, I'm Jonathan Watson. I'm a professor of Christian studies over at Charleston Southern University, but I'm also the uh, part-time ministry training coordinator here at uh, Northwood. Um, I lead out in our, that means I basically lead out in our new members classes, and we actually have some opportunities for uh, training for those headed toward ministry where they can get upwards of almost 30 hours of credit uh, at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. So, um, I'm, I have the joy of getting to be involved in those ministries. And of course, Pastor Tom has asked me to step in for him today uh, and to share the word with you. And I'm, I'm glad to do that. I, I would like you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, verses 37 through 54. Luke 11, 37 through 54. If you're new uh, to the church or don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat rack in front of you. Luke is located in the New Testament. If you look in the opening pages of that, of that Bible, you can find a table of contents. Just look for the second part, New Testament, and the third book, Luke. We'll be in chapter 11, beginning at verse 37. As you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. Has this ever happened to you? You wanted this, you went to the store, maybe in a rush, trying to pick something up on the way home for dinner, and and, and you thought you were getting this, but you walked out with this, right? Now, one of these is salad dressing. The other one is just pretending to be salad dressing. <laughs> and if we're honest, we, we recognize this is actually the world in which we live. We're constantly confronted with things that present themselves one way and actually some other way. And, and we're part of that too, right? We present ourselves in varieties of ways that are not true to who we are, that fail to live out and, and, and uh, the identity we have in Christ. And, and our passage today is going to confront this issue, this issue of hypocrisy head on. As we kind of begin to think about where we are in Luke's gospel, just a couple of quick reminders. Luke uh, is writing to us as a Gentile. He's writing as a Gentile to Gentiles about he, how Jesus is not just a Jewish Messiah. 
Jesus, uh, Luke is writing about how Jesus, he's writing as a Gentile to Gentiles about how Jesus is not just a Jewish Messiah. He's a Messiah for everyone. He has come to seek and to save the lost. And Luke has been painting this elaborate portrait of Christ for us vividly. We also recognize this passage, chapter 11, falls inside of a section in Luke called the travel narrative. It starts in chapter nine and continues to chapter 19. Now in this travel narrative, uh, Jesus has set his eyes towards Jerusalem. He is marching in a kind of slow and steady way to Jerusalem where he will die on a cross for the sins of his people. And in recent weeks, we've been noting how there's an increasing conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders, between Jesus and the crowds even, who are now starting to question, by what authority does he cast out demons? Maybe it's the prince of demons. And what we're gonna see today is that the, the crowds are really just following their leaders. The leaders, the ones that should recognize Jesus, the experts in the law are actually denying Jesus and leading others to do the same. Their hypocrisy, their empty religiosity is actually the root of the problem. And so if you will, and and you're able, would you stand with me today in the honor of of God's reading, uh, reading of God's word, beginning again in Luke 11, verses 37 and following says this, While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash his hands before dinner. And the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you For you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. And one of the lawyers answered him, teacher, in saying these things, you you insult us also. And Jesus says, woe to you lawyers also. For you load people with burdens hard to bear and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers for they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore, also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the blood of Abel, to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves and you hindered those who were entering. And as he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him 
and something he might say. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we we ask that you would open our eyes and ears to see and to understand what you are saying to us in this passage today. That we stir our hearts with sorrow where we find sin and enable us by your spirit to turn from that sin and to cling ever closely to Christ. Help us to see him as the true and greater prophet and king who can rescue us from us. We love you and pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit, amen. You may be seated. I've titled today's sermon, A Dire Warning Over Dinner, The Signs and Consequences of Hypocrisy. The big idea that we're going to explore today is this, that pharisaical hypocrisy leads to disordered priorities and an empty religiosity that rejects Jesus as Lord. Pharisaical hypocrisy leads to disordered priorities and an empty religiosity that rejects Jesus as Lord. Now, as we just read, we we begin to see that that Jesus is sitting down with a Pharisee. Maybe that strikes us as a little bit odd, right? Jesus and the Pharisees are supposed to be enemies, but we see Jesus consistently. Luke shows us several times in his gospel that Jesus sits down to, to eat, to fellowship with the Pharisees, But every time he does this, whether in chapter seven or here in chapter 11 or chapter 14, it generally ends up bad. Like it's a bad, it's just one of those situations over dinner where the wheels come off and it gets awkward pretty quick. In chapter seven, the Pharisee uh, there that Jesus is meeting with gets offended because this woman comes in with this alabaster flask. She breaks it open. She anoints Jesus's feet and washes his feet with her tears. And the Pharisee's upset. He's offended because Jesus doesn't send this woman away. What does Jesus do? Instead, he he commends her for her faith. He pronounces her sins forgiven and says that her love will be greater than the one who has not sinned so much. Here, the Pharisee is offended. Now, we should note, it says, uh, that while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee, verse 37, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. We get no hint that the Pharisee has any animosity towards Jesus. He's been listening to Jesus's teaching and, and now uh, he says, well, come on over for dinner. But again, the wheels come off of this conversation pretty quickly. We see that the Pharisee has a problem with Jesus. Jesus doesn't wash before he dines. Now, you might say, well, I actually kind of have a problem with that too. It's kind of gross. The problem isn't that Jesus has somehow transgressed the law of Moses and its purification uh, uh, rituals, but that Jesus has not followed through on all the extra traditions that the Pharisees have tagged on top of that law. And Jesus says this, he speaks this sharp word of rebuke against this religious teacher. Look at verse 40, you fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within and behold, everything is clean for you. Alms, we don't have an alms, uh, at least no bucket in the room labeled alms. Alms are, are those acts of service and ministry you do to the poor and for the poor. And these Pharisees were really good about doing their acts of ministry in ways that got them recognition, that earned them prestige points with others. And he says, look, do your acts of service and ministry from the heart. First, 
Clean the inside of the cup. Clean the inside of your heart and your dish. Make your motives right before God. Deal with that first and then do your acts of ministry and they'll be pleasing. And so with that in mind, Jesus now jumps and and launches into six woes against uh, the Pharisees and the scribes. Woe is another one of those words we don't bump into often. Perhaps we remember that Isaiah in the Old Testament said something like, woe is me for I am undone for I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. This is what Isaiah says when he sees the holy, all holy God, the three times holy God sitting on his throne. He realizes just how sinful he is. He's worried that God's holiness will overcome him and take him apart at the seams. Or maybe you remember there are times in the prophets, even in Jesus's earlier ministry, some of the earlier chapters have said, Jesus has pronounced a woe on a town or on people for not receiving his teaching, for seeing the works that he did and not repenting. He said, if if I'd done this in the midst of Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented, but you didn't. Woe is you. These woes are, are bringing a kind of indictment for their sin. And at the same time, they have a tone of lament and warning. So I kind of think of these as lament warnings. Jesus is gonna offer six lament warnings to the scribes and Pharisees in two cycles. He's gonna first deal with the Pharisee giving three woes and then three woes to the lawyer. Let's see what he does. And as we do this, um, one other thing. Uh, As we do this, we we begin to see, uh, I've titled this, Uh, the warning signs and consequences of hypocrisy. At the end of this passage, just in in the first verse of chapter 12, Jesus is going to kind of sum up the sin of the scribes and Pharisees that he's just outlined in in our text today. And he says, he says to his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So here we are. And Jesus is uttering some woes against the the Pharisee and against the lawyer. And and in this, we can gain insight and wisdom to find the same hypocrisy and root it out in our own lives. Look with me quickly at the first woe in verse 42. He says, but woe to you Pharisees for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. This just continues the line of thinking he said before. You've, you've fixated on, on the external things. You've neglected the internal things. Or as one commentator put it, they, they, are, uh, they are minoring in the majors and majoring in the minors. And so the first sign I want you to see uh, of, of pharisaical hypocrisy in our own lives is that we neglect the love of God and neighbor in favor of easier, more pleasant religious activities. You know, it's, it's, it's actually possible to be diligent to read our Bibles every day, to come to church every time the doors are open, to participate in small group, to get involved in a ministry and to do it for the wrong reasons. We can pursue good things to, ne- to the neglect of the most important things. Jesus doesn't rebuke them for tithing, he says, you should, have done these, uh, you should have done these kinds of things, but, but, but you've neglected what is central to God's heart. 
Over in, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus gives a very similar listing of these woes to the scribes and Pharisees. By the way, they are calling them scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites. Um, and, and he says on this particular point, he says, you've strained out the gnat and you've swallowed the camel. You strained out the gnat out of your soup. I just imagine in my mind, I've got a bowl of soup and here's a little gnat and I'm really concerned about it. But then this camel comes up and sticks his foot right in it. I have no problem with that. They fixated on the small things and neglected the major things. So the first sign is that we neglect the love of God and neighbor in favor of easier, more pleasant religious activities. We see a second woe though, is that uh, basically they have loved recognition and prestige. Look at what it says in verse 43. Woe to you Pharisees for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Over in Matthew 23, he talks about how they, they put on their long robes and they, they, they have these phylacteries, uh, these, these little uh, satchels that they would put the, the, the uh, greatest commandments inside of um, and, and, uh, and, and wear them in, in prominent ways so everyone can notice who they are and call them by their renowned titles. The pride of their office and position that they've enjoyed has become an idol to them. And if we're honest, we make social idols too. David Paulison uh, gives, uh, we go to the next slide. David Paulison gives a couple of different diagnostic questions for us to begin to see uh, that uh, the second sign. The second sign being that your, your chief concern is what other people think and not what God thinks. So here's, here are some questions to ask, right? As you begin to wonder, am I, am I manifesting this hypocrisy in my life? Whom must you please? Whose opinion of you counts most? As we begin to explore our heart on these questions, we begin to unearth social idols. Or from whom do you desire approval and fear rejection? Whose opinion matters most? Is it God's opinion of you or is it others' opinion of you? The answer will help us see where we need to turn back. The bad logic of the, of, of the Pharisees and their hypocrisy is this, right? Other people can't see heart matters. Other people can't see heart matters. Therefore, the conclusion is the heart doesn't matter. Other people can't see heart matters, so the heart doesn't matter. But this is false because God sees the heart. He weighs our intentions. And Jesus pronounces a woe on the Pharisees for elevating the uh, opinions of others above that of God. And the third woe that he, he announces is, is a consequence Essentially, they're making people unfit for God's presence, even as they present themselves as doing something else. Look at what it says in verse 44. It says, woe to you for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. Now this is a bit ironic because we have here Jesus talking to, to a Pharisee and here in a moment to a scribe to a lawyer 
a professional interpreter of the law. These, these people were the ones that were supposed to be guiding God's people into righteousness and how to live rightly before him and be prepared for his presence. The Old Testament and its laws has, has a strong concern for, for being fit for God's presence. And these, these religious leaders were supposed to be the ones leading God's people to be fit for his presence. And yet, Jesus says they're like unmarked graves. If you walk across the grave, then you were ritually impure or unclean. So it was important to know where the graveyard was. But Jesus says, people don't know that you're a graveyard. People don't know that you're a hypocrite. And because of that, they look to you as a leader and they follow you, a blind guide into the pit that they themselves don't see. And this leads to the first of two consequences of hypocrisy. The first is this. Hypocrisy leads people away from the light of Christ and into the darkness of sin and self. Hypocrisy leads people away from the light of Christ and into the darkness of sin and self. Unfortunately, hypocrisy doesn't just affect us. Especially, believer, if you're in the room hearing my voice, you've named the name of Christ. Others look at you, they hear that you are following Christ and they watch your example and they see one that strays from the path and leads away from Christ. Now, these religious leaders have denied Christ outright. And of course, Jesus is denouncing them severely. As one commentator puts it, these enforcers of, of purity are like doctors who while serving patients unknowingly spread a plague. So we see that pharisaical hypocrisy leads people away from the light of Christ and into the darkness of sin and self. These religious reformers were making their followers unfit for God's presence. And as I've said already, it doesn't just affect us. Now, the Pharisee and Jesus aren't alone. It's not just a table for two. There's others at this dinner feast. And, and, and Jesus, uh, as he's talking, apparently has offended one of the other guests, a lawyer. Sometimes, as we'll see even later in this passage, they're called scribes. These are professional law interpreters. Uh, the law of Moses was their job. And he says, Look what he says in verse 45. Uh, one of the lawyers answered him, teacher, and saying these, you insult us also. And Jesus says, you're right. Woe to you lawyers also, verse 46. And he starts to lay into the lawyers. Listen what he says. Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. When I was in college, I, I worked in work study uh, for, the, for the carpentry crew and we were put on the task of helping build the field house for the Washtenaw Tiger football team. Now, I was basically a broom pusher, okay? Don't get, uh, there's no special uh, carpentry skills here. But I do remember that in the 15 or 20 hours a week that I would go to work study, we had a supervisor, and I'll leave him nameless, 
But he was really, really good at supervising. So good, in fact, he didn't do any of the work. I still remember the day he came to work with his truck and he had a, had a, uh, a lawn chair there and he pulled it out and he set it up in the back of his truck and I looked over the side and there it was, there was, there was pecans all in the back of his truck. He'd been collecting pecans on his lunch breaks and now it was time he was gonna shell them. While we worked, he sat in the back of his truck and shelled his pecans. Really good at telling us what to do not so good at getting after the work himself. This leads us to a third sign of hypocrisy, that we preach but don't practice. We preach but don't practice. Here we have these professional interpreters of the law, and yet they don't practice the law that they teach. So whose faults stand out to you? Whose faults do you notice the most? I don't know about y'all, but I'm really good at spotting other people's sin, right? In Luke chapter six, Jesus addresses this, this very thing. If you look at Luke six thirty nine, he says, he also told them a parable, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? The disciple, he says, is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Now, pause for a second. This is what's happening here. The Pharisees are leading the people. They are blind guides leading the people. And the people are now just like their blind guides. Then he says in verse 41 of chapter six, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye? But do not... Notice the log that is in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that's in your eye. When you yourselves do not see the log that is in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Do I have any parents in the room? Just a quick show of hands. I'm just looking for solidarity here. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you caught yourself, I don't know, uh, yelling at one of your children for yelling at you. Is anyone? Am I alone? Um, the other day, my, my son Jude asked to be mentioned in the sermon, so I thought I'd mention this. The other day, I was, Jude was sitting on the couch and he had, I think the iPad out, was looking at something and I, I, I said, Jude, you, you need to get off the screen. As I was saying it, I noticed that I was pulling my phone out of my pocket to check something, Right. <laughs> Like we're really good, I don't know about you, but I'm really good at spotting someone else's deficiency or something they need to do and, and not so good about seeing my own deficiencies. And this was, this was the plight of the lawyers. They're experts in the law. They're professional interpreters of it, but they don't lift a finger to do any of it. And so we see that, that uh, we, uh, the third sign of hypocrisy is that we preach but don't practice then we see a fourth sign that we neglect and reject the lordship of Christ. Let's see how this develops in verses 46 and following. He says, woe to you lawyers also, sorry, uh, I need to go on a little bit further. Uh, verse 47, woe to you for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses that you consent to the deeds of your father for they killed him and you build their tombs. Now I need to explain this a little bit. There was a practice at this time 
of building these kind of monuments, these tombs in dedication to prophets from the Old Testament that had been rejected by God's people and killed. It was a way of saying, hey, if I'd lived back then, we wouldn't have done that. I'm honoring the prophet. I'm not dishonoring him like our forefathers. But Jesus says, no, you're guilty of the, of the blood of the prophets. Why are they guilty? Because they're, they're rejecting the prophet, the one to whom all the other prophets pointed. They're rejecting God's word to them through God's son. Here we have Jesus, the spirit anointed son of the father, declaring the way of God to them and they're questioning his authority. They're denying his identity. So the third uh, sign, or sorry, fourth sign that we have here is that you neglect and reject the Lordship of Christ. They honor the prophets and yet reject the true and greater prophet. Hypocrisy always leads away from a, a close following of Jesus. It looks like it follows Jesus, but in actuality, it doesn't. These, these lawyers are now co-signers with their forefathers in the death of these prophets. Nineveh repented at the preaching of a reluctant prophet, Jonah, and yet the greater prophet is among them and they are rejecting him. He says something curious he, as, it, as it continues on there. He says, um, therefore also the wisdom of God says, this is verse 49, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and sanctuary. That's like saying all the innocent blood shed from Genesis to the end of the Old Testament. I'm counting that against this generation. Why? Because they've rejected the Messiah. This leads to the sixth and final woe and the, and the second consequence that I wanna note about hypocrisy. He's gonna effectively tell the, the lawyers that they failed to enter and even hidden the key to the kingdom of God. Look what it says there in verse 52. Woe to you lawyers for you have taken away the key of knowledge and you did not enter yourselves and you hindered those who were entering. We must not miss this. We must not miss this. These lawyers who should know better are leading people away from Jesus. These lawyers, these experts in the law that Jesus just a few chapters later in chapter 24 of Luke is gonna say, remember the story? It's on the day that Jesus's body is discovered. The tomb is discovered empty. And, and Jesus approaches these two disciples on the road to Emmaus and they're all downcast. He's like, what's wrong guys? Plays dumb. They said, well, haven't you heard? Are you the only one in, in Jerusalem who doesn't know this Jesus that we thought was the Messiah? He was killed by the Romans and put in a grave. And now they've told us that his, his tomb is empty. And then Jesus is going to go on and rebuke them and say, you foolish uh, and, and, and slow to believe all that was said about me in the, in, in the law. 
and the prophets. And it says, beginning with the law of Moses and the prophets, he explained to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. This law points to Jesus, but these experts in the law don't see Jesus for who he is. And so the second key consequence of this hypocrisy is that it prevents true faith in Christ and his gospel and repentance of sin, which are the keys to entering God's kingdom. In fact, Jesus proclaimed it just this way at the opening of Mark. He says the, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. How do you respond to the message Jesus proclaims? How does it become good news for you and for me? How do we get in on it? Repent of our sin, that is to, to acknowledge it as sin, to repudiate it and to turn away from it. Repent and believe, turn to Christ, put your full weight on him as your savior, the one that can save you from you. These Pharisees have turned others away from Christ and have effectively locked the kingdom of God away from their followers. No one receives a treatment for a disease they don't believe they have. And God's law diagnoses the problem for us. God's law is not given to us as the path forward through which we earn our way into God's grace. It's the diagnosis that tells us we have a disease we can't cure and we need a savior who can. These lawyers and Pharisees, these religious leaders and their hypocrisy have turned people away. They failed to, to see the law for what it was. It's the thing that tells us we need saving, not the thing that saves us. Jesus is the savior. The final two verses show us how this conflict intensifies and remind us that we are required to respond to Jesus. Jesus is a fork in the road. He requires a response. And the Pharisees respond quite clearly. Read with me. Verse 53, as he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Jesus earlier in chapter 11 has said, whoever's not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. It's a binary choice. Either you receive Christ or you reject Christ and the scribes and Pharisees have made their choice. It's almost as though they're listening to the words of Jesus and going, this can't be true because if it's true, it's really bad news for me. So given we've seen some signs of hypocrisy, we've, we've considered or heard some of the warnings, all of this in the woes that Jesus pronounces to the Pharisee and the scribe. But perhaps our minds are struggling to really conceptualize, what, what is this empty religiosity that you're talking about? Does that really affect me? Consider some, some possible ways in which this might manifest, and, and I have to be honest here, in some ways in which it manifests in my own life, this Empty religiosity looks like loving God and not loving our neighbor. It's love of God without love of neighbor. It's, 
It's asking God to forgive us of our sins and yet failing to extend that forgiveness to those that sin against us. It's praising God on Sunday and prayerlessness on Monday. It's knowing the goodness of the gospel and its hope and failing to share that hope through evangelism. It's discipleship without obedience. Discipleship without lordship. It's fellowship around the Lord's table without any concern for those we've gathered there outside of our time on a Sunday morning. And sure, we could say that it, it's anywhere we claim to know the gospel and walk out of step with the gospel. We're tempted to look at a passage like this. We're tempted to see whether it's the Pharisees' hard-heartedness, the, the people's slowness to get it, even the disciples, and to kind of click our tongues and say, mm, if I'd been there, I'd, had, I'd have done it differently. But God's word tells us differently. In fact, if we're starting to get the picture and it's starting to land on us, it actually can be quite discouraging. We can become uh, laden with despair. But I wanna encourage you that God's word is like a surgeon's scalpel. It cuts us in order to heal us. It reveals our sin so that we might turn from it. It diagnoses our disease so it can cure it. And so as we uh, conclude, I just want to give you a few exhortations. First, as you reviewed through these uh, signs, maybe you go back home later and you think through these signs and consequences, repent, turn away from this in your life where you see it in any form, but trust in Christ. He's the truer and greater prophet and king that can rescue you and me from ourselves. He has not hidden the keys of the kingdom. He has set wide the gates and has proclaimed to us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The good news is, as Charles Spurgeon put it, you are a great sinner, but he is a greater savior. So hear the good news this morning that Paul proclaims in Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus where you find hypocrisy in your life, where you've fallen short before your kids or with your coworkers, come back to God because your standing before him is not based on you, it's based on Christ. Repent and trust in Christ, the true and greater prophet king to save you from you, but also hope in the grace of our good heavenly father. Jesus has just taught them how to pray and he camps out. Not only does he say, pray our father who is in heaven, but he also camps out on the idea that Jesus is a good father who knows how to give good gifts to his children. When you come to him and you say, God, would you forgive me my hypocrisy? Would you show it to me, he will. He will help you. In fact, Jesus tells us that he will not only give you your daily bread and will forgive you of your trespasses against him, but he also says, I will give you my Holy Spirit, which he did at Pentecost. And by the way, if you're in this room and you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, his spirit lives in you. He is with you even now, helping you, 
working out his fruit in your life. And when we fall short, when we see it for what it is, and we lament that, we ask, God, would you heal me? He sends us his spirit and helps us. It doesn't just give us a little pocket change. Say, go spend this wisely. He gives us himself. And so we must depend on the spirit to produce God's love in us. Where we see a lack of love for neighbor, we claim love for God, but we lack love for neighbor. We know that the spirit produces the love of God in our hearts. The fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. It begins with love. And Paul says that the spirit sheds that love abroad in our hearts. He causes us to cry out to God as, as our father. We have hope because God has given us hope. Regardless of where you are today, my prayer for you is that you would see your sin for what it is and that you would see Christ for who he is. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the light of your word. We thank you that your word, like a surgeon's scalpel, wounds us in order to heal us. Lord, I pray that you would awaken our imaginations and the eyes of our hearts to see hypocrisy where it has infected us. Lord, we may not be formally confessing the teaching of the scribes and Pharisees, but functionally we are living according to it. Lord, only you can make us authentic. Only you can help us be true disciples. We come to you for your help. We take heart knowing that you know how to give us good things, Father. We thank you for your son and we thank you for your spirit. I ask Lord that you would help any in this room, any believer in this room who's not walked with you in the ways that you've called us to, Lord, just to, to come back. Lord, anyone in this room does not know this hope that we're talking about, I pray that they would, for the first time, call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name, amen. As we're uh, singing our final hymn here, I'll be at the front. Some will be on the corners of the room. I invite you to come and respond however God is leading you.